Mark chapter 7 today. We're going to continue in our study of the book of Mark we've been doing this summer. We're going to continue in this uh, study of the book of Mark. And today we're going to talk about the freedom that we have in Christ. It's a great weekend for that. We encounter a man here in Mark chapter 7 who was set free by Christ in a way that most of us really can't quite understand because we never walked in the place that this gentleman was walking. Um, and as we look at him today, I, I want you to see several things, but the most important thing that I want you to see is we oftentimes come to these, these miracles, and John, as we've talked about, or sorry, Mark here, records more miracles than any of the other Gospels. Mark is the, the action gospel. He is all about showing us the things that Jesus did much more than the things that Jesus said. But one of the things that happens a lot of times when we come to these miracles is we look at what Jesus has done and we, and we see the power of God, but we forget that these miracles were meant for our instruction. Well, we're meant to see pictures of our redemption in these miracles. And so I want to encourage you today to, to find yourself in this man that we're going to talk about for the next 30 minutes. This, this gentleman who was healed by Jesus in a miraculous way. I want to encourage you to find yourself in him and remember the day when Christ brought healing into your life. And if that day has not yet come... Maybe today is that day. As we talk about the Christ who sets us free today, would you stand with me if you're able to in honor of God's word? As we read Mark chapter 7, we'll begin in verse 31. Leading up to verse 31, Jesus is on about an eight-month tour, 120-mile trip through the region of the Gentiles. Most of his ministry was spent among the Jews, but this particular trip took him into the region of the Gentiles. And he's kind of finishing up that tour of these Gentile areas as we enter in verse 31. It says in verse 31, Then he, this being Jesus, then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Now the Decapolis he had been to before, but he comes back to this region. And in verse 32, And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be open. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Can we see this? Father, I simply would pray for us this morning that you would give us eyes to see ourselves 
in this man who was healed. Lord, for many of us, we, we identify with those who, who brought this man to Jesus. We, we like to be thought of as those who, who bring others to Jesus, who help others to find healing and, and redemption and restoration. For some of us, we, we identify with the crowd, Lord. We identify with those who are looking on. I mean, we want to see you do great and miraculous things. But Lord, would you remind us this morning you remind us this morning that we will not see your miracles from a distance until we first experience them for ourselves. I pray you'd help us to see ourselves in this man, to see the one who was set free by Christ and either be brought back to that place of rejoicing in our own redemption or to come to that place for the first time today to draw near to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith and to find the healing that only He can provide and the freedom that comes from Him alone. It is freedom that Christ has set us free. May we no longer be bound by a yoke of slavery. As we pray in Jesus' name. we walk through these eight verses today, I want you to see several things. First of all, I want you to understand that Jesus was involved here in his Gentile ministry. Like I said already, that most of Jesus' ministry was spent among the Jewish people. Jesus came as a Jew for the Jews. But praise be to God for those of us here in this congregation. Uh, I don't know that any of us come from a Jewish descent. And so we are all falling into these ones known as the Gentiles. Who was everyone who were, who were not Jews. These were all of us here in this room would fall into this category. And at this particular point in his ministry, after having a run-in with the Pharisees at the beginning of chapter 7, uh, Jesus leaves the particular region where he spent most of his time, and he goes into this region of the Gentiles. He goes to minister among them for about eight months, which was about a fourth of his total ministry spent here among the Gentiles, about a 120-mile trek he takes. If you follow the geography of this chapter and some of what we see in the other Gospels, he takes about a 120-mile arc up through the Gentile territories. It's almost a strange kind of journey if you were to map it out. It, it wouldn't be a journey that anyone would choose to take unless they were guided by the very plan and purpose of God, which Jesus was always was. And so he encounters here in chapter 7 a Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was possessed by a demon. And he goes to this woman. Actually, she comes to him asking for healing. And Jesus brings healing to her daughter. And then we find this deaf man that we're talking about this morning who also is healed. And then Jesus repeats the miracle that he did among the Jews, the feeding of the 5,000 that we talked about last week. He does a similar miracle, what we call the feeding of the 4,000, but it was among a Gentile, primarily Gentile audience here at the beginning of chapter 8. Jesus ministering among the Gentiles reminds us of several things, but one thing I want you to be reminded of is this. That when the Scriptures speak about salvation, the Scriptures give us an order to the salvation that Jesus came to bring that's important for us to keep in our minds. 
And it goes this way. Paul talks about it in Romans 1.16 that salvation came for Jews first and then for Gentiles. Now we don't want to get offended by that. In fact, if you would, if you would be tended to be offended by that, I encourage you to go back and read the portion of Scripture that begins in verse 24 of this chapter. See the attitude of this Syrophoenician woman, this Gentile woman who comes asking for Jesus to heal her daughter. See her submission to the pattern of God's salvation. And understand that God was doing something through the Jewish people all the way back to Abraham. 2,000 years before Jesus. We look back 2,000 years to Jesus. 2,000 years before Jesus, God began a work with a man named Abraham that brought forth these people that we know today as the Jews. They were God's chosen people in the Old Testament that God was going to use to bring salvation into the world. And Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 1, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. We think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead, that we might have life in his name. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then to the Greek, which was another term that was often used to refer to Gentiles. This is the Jews first. This was God's way of bringing salvation into the world. And it's good for us to remember this. To remember that God used the Jewish people to bring us salvation. That Jesus came as a Jew for the Jews first. But not just for the Jews. For all of the nations. And some would say, well this was just a New Testament thing that happened here. Uh, the gospel going to the Gentiles. But you've got to understand, this was God's plan from the very beginning. It was God's plan from the very beginning that He would use His chosen people, the Jews, to bring salvation to all the nations. God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so that you can be a blessing. I'm going to bless you that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. We find it in Psalm 67. Beautiful Psalm, Psalm 67 it begins this way, he says, May God be gracious to us. It's a prayer asking for God's blessing. May He be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. It harkens back to the, to the blessing that's given in the book of Numbers that the, the Jewish people were to use with one another. But listen to the rest of it. May God bless us so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. And so here's the picture. The Jews were meant to be a conduit of God's blessing to all the nations. We sit here today, church, Corinth Baptist Church, we sit here today because of 12 Jewish men that Jesus used to change the world. And you're saying, why, why are you harping on this so heavily? Well, for a number of reasons, but one reason is this, that we too are called not to be containers of the blessing of God, but to be conduits of the blessing of God. And I think so often we, as a church here in America, have missed that with the predominance of this prosperity gospel that is preached in so many churches today. We come to church looking to get a blessing. But we look at the Scriptures and the pattern of God's salvation in the Scriptures was that God blessed folks in order that they could be a blessing, not in order that they could get a blessing. 
We're meant to be not containers of blessing, but conduits of blessing to others. And so we come to the church house and hear the preaching of the Word of God, not just for ourselves, but that we might take what has been given to us and share it with others. We come to be fed not just to fill our own bellies. We come to take this to share with others, to take it out to a lost and dying world, to do what the Jews were also called to do. Again, not be containers of blessing, but to be conduits of it. I bless you that you might be a blessing to all the nations. So this was his way. His Gentile ministry is a reminder to us that he came to bless all the peoples of the earth, to bring salvation to all peoples. Secondly, this morning, in verses 33 through 35, I want you to see his gentle method with this man. Jesus healed in a variety of ways in his ministry. Sometimes he simply spoke the word and from a distance, folks were healed. That happened a number of times. Sometimes he simply touched a person and they were healed. Sometimes a person would touch Jesus and they were healed. There's all kinds of a variety of ways and methods that he used. But this is perhaps one of the most intimate pictures of Jesus' healing ministry. In fact, if you break this down in verses 33 through 35, Jesus goes through a seven-step process to heal this man. Now, we focus on the last step. We, we, we love the, this idea that Jesus spoke this one word, epithah. He spoke this one word and this man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosed and he could hear and he could speak and he went away proclaiming the glories of God. And Mark, the, the writer here, the, the gospel writer who gives us this account, who, who's not really known for his details, gives us all of the, six, the seven steps that lead up to this man's healing. And it's a picture for us. It's a picture for us the powerful ministry of Jesus and his gentle way with this man. King Hughes described it this way. He said, this is what we need if we're to reach our world for Christ. Jesus is giving us a model here for ministry. This is what we need. An upward look of prayer, which we see here. A heartfelt sign of compassion. A loving touch upon the hurting and a bold pronouncement of the good news. So let's look at these parts together here for a moment. Verse 33, and taking the man aside from the crowds, privately, one-on-one, -on -one, Jesus takes him aside. He put his fingers into his ears. Now, if that doesn't seem a little comical to you, it ought to. That's, just a, that's a little bit strange. Uh, I, I'm glad he did that after. I'm glad he did that before uh, he spit and did all that. That would have been what's called a wet willy. If you don't know what that is, <laughs> ask your grandkids. They'll tell you all about it. But he takes him aside, he puts his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, then he touches his tongue. This is, this is kind of strange, but just, just stay with it for a minute. And then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epitha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. See, while the theatrics Keep in mind that this man was both deaf and had, because of his deafness, 
a speech impediment. Likely he was not born deaf. Perhaps he had been through some kind of an injury as a child. His, his limited ability to speak that's described here indicates that he probably was not born deaf, but he, he, had, he had at some point in his childhood been rendered deaf. And it hindered his language. And so what you see Jesus doing here is he's basically speaking to him in sign language. Before sign language was ever invented, Jesus is, is speaking to this man in terms that he can understand. As he takes him aside, he is recognizing that this man, because of his condition, had lived a life of shame. And rather than in, invoking more shame into his life with a public healing, he simply takes him aside and he begins to minister to him gently, one on one, apart from the crowd. And then he takes his fingers and he puts them into the man's ears, indicating to this man, I'm going to open your ears. I'm going to remove that which is keeping you from being able to hear. And then he spits and he takes those moistened fingers and he touches the man's tongue with an indication, I'm going to heal your tongue as well. But lest the man get the wrong idea, then he looks up to heaven. An indication that this is where the healing is going to come from. And then there's this, there's this deep sigh that comes from the Lord. And I'll talk about that more in just a minute. This deep sigh that comes from the Lord. And then he simply speaks one word. One Aramaic word that Mark translates for us. Be opened. And his ears were open. I want to go back to that sigh for a minute. His fingers into his ears, he touched his tongue, he looks up to heaven, and then it says, Jesus saw. Why did he saw? This, this is a word that describes that guttural moment of, of just anguish. And I believe what Jesus was doing here, he was sighing over the effects of sin in the world. He was looking at this man, this representative of one whose life had been wrecked by the effects of sin. And out of his gut comes forth this sigh over the effects of sin. It's, it's very similar to what we see in John chapter 11 when Jesus goes to heal Lazarus. And there's just this, there's this guttural moment of this grief that comes up from the pit of Christ when he comes forth to bring healing and sees the effects of sin that has resulted in the death of his beloved friend. And here he sees on the face of this man the grief that sin has brought. Frederick Faber in, a, in an old hymn wrote this line. He said, There is no place where earth's sorrows are more felt than up in heaven. It's a beautiful old hymn. I love that line. There are no, there's no place where earth's sorrows are more felt than up in heaven. And Jesus looked at the effects of sin in the world and it brought forth this intense sigh. And then after the sigh came the healing. And so he looks up to heaven, verse 34. He sighs. He says to the man this one word, Ephatha. Imagine that moment for this particular gentleman. Having gone years and years without ever heard, having heard anything, his ears completely useless to him, with one 
beautiful word, his ears are open, his life is radically transformed. Just with one word from Christ. It's this reminder of the power of the word of God in our lives. Of how he speaks into our lives and brings us out of the effects of sin that we too have experienced. You see, the same way that Jesus healed this man, he also saves us from spiritual deafness. The reality of our condition apart from Christ is this, that we are unable to hear the Word of God. We're unable to hear the Word of God in the sense that we're unable for it to have its right effect on us. This man had probably had many words spoken in his direction over the years, folks that didn't realize that he could not hear them. He had many words that were spoken in his direction, but none of them had any effect Because he did not have ears to hear. The irony of this moment was standing there with Jesus were 12 men who up to this point in Mark's gospel still did not have ears to hear themselves. His own disciples who had walked with him, who had seen him walk on the water, who had seen him steal the storms, who had seen him take a little boy's lunch and feed several thousand people. These disciples still had not heard the true word of God because we see later in chapter 8 that they still did not understand who Jesus was. We need ears to hear. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah There was a prophecy about the Messiah I want us to look at this morning. Speaking about the days when the Messiah would come, he said, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Jesus loved to go out to these wilderness places to bring healing. He did many mighty works in Jerusalem and other big cities, but much of what he did was out in the wilderness places. Out in the unknown places, he went out and brought healing, and it was, a, it was in response to this prophecy in Isaiah 35. We see each of these types of miracles fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. But folks, we also need to see them fulfilled in our own lives. We also need to be reminded this morning of a day when we had no eyes to see. We had no ears to hear. We were as spiritually lame as we could be. And it was only because of the power of God at work in our lives that we came alive in Christ. How long has it been? How long has it been since Christ spoke into your life that simple word, Ephathah, and opened your heart to the truth of the gospel? How long has it been since that day when you were radically transformed by Jesus? When He took you aside from the crowd, because that's what He does. Jesus does not save us in crowds of people, whether you were at a Billy Graham crusade or not when you came to Christ. He saves us one by one as He pulls us away from the crowd. As He looks deep into our faces and sees the effects of sin on us. As we experience His sign, 
over the devastation of sin in our own lives. And then he simply speaks into our existence. Ephatha. Be opened. Be opened. What was the result? So his tongue was released. His ears were opened literally in verse 35. When it says his tongue was released, uh, the Greek term there means his tongue was unshackled. The chains were removed and he could speak freely for the first time. And I am certain that the first words that he was speaking were praise be to God. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. And he praised the Lord and went away. Even though Jesus charged them to tell no one, they went and told anyway. What was their message? Look at verse 37. He charged them to tell no one, and the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. I'm sure they were thinking about Isaiah 35. There's also a faint reminder here. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the book of Genesis. And I want to talk about his Genesis mission for just a moment. He has done all things well. Do you remember the refrain in Genesis chapter 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. And there was evening, there was the morning, the first day. God looked at all that He had made on the first day and said, it's good. And then on and on, day two, day three, God adds to His creation. At the end of every day, there was evening, there was morning, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day. And God looked at His creation and said, it's good. You see, God is the very definition of goodness. What He calls good is good. What He calls evil is evil. Unfortunately, we're living in a culture that wants to redefine those terms. But God alone gets to bring definition to that which is good. He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And he looked at His creation and said, It is good. At the end of the sixth day, He has made man. The crowning jewel of His creation was us, made in His image, made to display His glory. And then God said, it is very good. And here in this moment, as the ears of the deaf man were unstopped, his tongue was loosed, and he began to praise the Lord. The people said of Jesus, he has done all things. I'm going to abuse the English, English teachers in the room are going to hurt me here after the service. He has done all things good. They got it right here. He's done all things well. He has done all things well. Let us be reminded this morning that Jesus came to restore what sin had stolen. That was his mission. Not just to give some good teachings, not just to heal a few people, but to restore what sin had stolen. And the cost of that restoration that we call redemption was His body broken on the cross. 
Let us be reminded today that our freedom is not free. We experience it that way, but it was bought for us at the great price of the broken body of the Son of God and His blood shed for us. You see, Jesus came to reconcile us to God. Because of our sin, there was a chasm between us and God that we could not cross. None of our good works would allow us to cross that chasm. There was nothing that we could do about our sinful condition. And that's why Jesus came to reconcile us to God, to bring us back to God, that we might have peace with God. That's Romans 5.1. Apostle Paul is just ecstatic at this point. He says, therefore, we, he says, we have been justified by faith. We stand righteous before God and that we have peace with Him through our Lord Jesus Christ who took the wrath of God upon Himself to bring us peace. He took our death and gave us life. He took the darkness of our sin upon Himself and brought us light. He who knew no sin of His own became sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of of God. We have been justified because of what Jesus did, and now we have peace with God. And now we experience the new creation of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. In other words, we didn't figure this out. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and has now done what? He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And folks, I can guarantee you the man who was healed on this day went away proclaiming the glories of the God who healed him. Of His Son, Jesus Christ, who took His hands and put His fingers in His ears and touched His tongue and prayed on His behalf and spoke one simple word that changed His life. And I would ask you two things today as we finish up. Number one, has He spoken into your existence the life-changing Word of God? Have you heard that Word from Him be opened? Can you remember that day when he pulled you away from the crowd and dealt tenderly with you and spoke into your life that life-changing word? Romans chapter 10 reminds us faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. And then I would say to us, if we have heard, if our ears have been opened, if we have been redeemed by Jesus, then we have this ministry of reconciliation. That God is making His appeal now through us. An appeal to a lost and dying world whose ears are stopped up, whose tongues are mute, and who, as Ephesians 2 say, are truly dead in their trespasses and sins. The word that says, come to life. Life is in Jesus. Come to Him. All you who are weary and heavy laden, He will give you rest. Come to Jesus. I guarantee you this gentleman was going to everyone he could find and saying, come see a man who radically changed my life with just one word. Have you been changed by Jesus? And to whom do you need to bring 
the ministry of reconciliation this week. We just bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment this morning. Christ followers in this room, I want you to think back to that day when Jesus saved you. I want you to think back to that tender moment where for the first time you truly heard the Word of God. And your life's never been the same since. I can guarantee you today that this particular man we've been talking about, his life was never the same after that day. All the shame was removed. All the obstacles that had so defined his life now just simply became a part of his testimony of the greatness of God. And the tongue that was loosed was used for the remainder of his days to proclaim the greatness of the Messiah who touched him one day. And healed him as no one else could. Can you think back on that day? Can you think back on that day when he first touched you and spoke into your life the saving word of God? If you've not experienced the saving touch of Jesus, I want you to understand this morning. There's no magical formula. There's, there's no list of a thousand rules to perform before you come to Jesus. Jesus simply portrays the response to the gospel this way. It's about repentance and faith. Turning away from the sin that has kept us from Christ and then clinging to Christ by faith. Trusting in Him alone to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He did all that was necessary at the cross. Your sin has been paid for. He's already picked up the bill. Your only part is to trust Him. To take Him at His word. Father, I pray this morning. Pray that you would remind us of the day when you spoke Ephatha into our lives. When you opened us to the gospel from which we would never be the same again. The old is gone, new creation, and now alive in us. Our lives radically changed. No longer slaves to sin, now slaves to righteousness. No longer walking in darkness. Now we have the light of life. And it's all because of Jesus. Father, I pray tenderly for those in this room who have not yet experienced the healing touch of Christ. Have not yet heard the saving word. God, I pray that you would bring them 
to repentance and faith. I pray you'd open blind eyes today, that you would unstop deaf ears today, God, that you would bring forth from the dead new life in Christ. And we commit to give you all the glory for that, Lord, that you alone deserve. Move among us, fathers. We share this final hymn today. May we respond to the gospel and may we become proclaimers of this gospel as ones who've been redeemed. And yes, it's in Jesus' name. Father God, we give you thanks today. We thank you for the gospel. The gospel word that, that opens blind eyes and deaf ears, that raises the dead and causes us to walk in a newness of life. A, a new life in Christ is available to all who will come to Him by faith. And that's what we celebrate this morning. And that's what we are called upon to proclaim for the remainder of our days. And so, Lord, I pray now as we go out from this place that we would take this ministry of reconciliation, that we've been reconciled to God by the work of Christ, that we would take it out with us to a world that so desperately needs it. And this we pray in Jesus' name. God